What's up, guys? Your host, Michael Sakond here, and you're listening to Our Future, the business podcast for young people. Today, we're diving deep into the AlkBev industry, joined by my guest, Carlton Fowler. He's founder of Goat Rodeo Capital, a brand new venture firm here in San Francisco, California, focused specifically on direct-to-consumer alcohol brands. And he's told me the returns are quite intoxicating. We talk seltzer, we talk craft beer, we talk the White Claw. It's crazy. Let's check this out. Tell me how you made the footsteps to arrive at where you are now. You went to Ross Business School. Kind of walk me through how you ended up in this venture capital space as a partner at your own VC firm that you founded. Yeah, um, hopefully for uh, some of your listeners, I can kind of be a, at least a guidepost to how you can do this without having to do four years of iBanking and then some private equity and then now do your own. So r- real quick, my background, I did undergrad at, at Cal Berkeley. Um, I actually then moved down to the Cayman Islands, lived there for, for about eight years, ended up um, sure. doing some fa- fairly major developments, um, hotels, condominiums, et cetera. I went back to, went back to business school in Michigan. Um, I went in thinking I wanted to go, go work um, for McKinsey or Bain, ended up taking a chance on an internship at E&J Gala, largest winery in the world, really one of the largest spirit players in the world as well. One out of every three bottles of wine sold in the U.S. is a Gala bottle, you just don't know it. Ended up taking a full-time offer there, and um, through, in the category of it's better to be lucky than good, um, I reported directly into Ernest Gala, um, obviously the younger, not the founder, who at the time was um, the head of the business unit, and uh, pretty quickly my role ended up being building out um, are helping to helping to build out all of their new super premium, ultra premium spirits. So it was basically like working at a really well-funded startup. Um, they wanted to be really big in the space. They were already really big in wine. So I just got to drink from a fire hose, learn from one of the smartest guys in the business. Um, and then I thanked him by, uh, by leaving. <laughs> Um, and started my own thing. Uh, and I'm sure you might want to have a stake in what you're doing now. Interestingly enough, you know, there, there are only, um, the only way to really do this, this particular type of venture capital well, for the most part, is if you exit to the, the major supplier. So it's a lot more like the big pharma model. Yeah, when you think of a venture capital firm, you never, you never think of one with the particular ethos of this alcoholic beverage space. So we're moving away from these big brand Anheuser-Busch guys. Obviously, they still matter for the acquisitions, but craft beer shot up. We got White Claw. We've got these new brands coming in that are really taking like a good piece of the market, and young people love drinking them. They taste good. They got great yeah. packaging. Yeah. They've got all this stuff. So what do you find particularly exciting about this new wave of companies entering your space? I've never stopped a stranger in a bar and told them what kind of toothpaste I use. Uh, Alcohol in general is a very extrinsic category. People actually have a a lot of self-definition by what they drink in a different way than a lot of CPG defines them. And because it's such a personal brand, personal product, I find myself gravitating toward it because that, that's the kind of marketing I like to do. That's why I started with Outbev. Why I stuck with it and why I wanted to move into venture capital was the system is um, it's kind of frozen in time, right? Um, the, 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 the way the Outbev system works is there are major suppliers, um, people like Diageo, Pernod Ricard, Gallo, that own all the brands. Their actual customer are distributors by law. Um, and this is a vestige of, of the Prohibition Act because that was the best way to collect tax. Then distributors sell to their customers, which are retailers, either bars or liquor stores, and then consumers buy. So I was looking at this ecosystem saying, wait a second, this this is by definition too far removed from the customer, the final consumer. This craft brands are breaking through because they're connecting with the consumer. And in every other category, 
you, you have this you know, you know, te technological push forward that allows people to talk more and more to their consumer. Um, you have Amazon, you have direct-to-consumer, everywhere but alcohol. Uh, let me tell you, alcohol is not special, all right? Uh, it's a $250 billion business that needs to be disrupted. And so the only way I could actually do that was by leaving the major suppliers because their mindset is too much, let's do it the way it's always been done. So I had to get out and fund the companies that were doing something different because you can't just do the same thing over and over again and expect a new result. Yeah, and there are companies that are doing things differently. All right, but, but tell me what specific types of alcohol that you are interested in most with this venture capital firm, right? We've got yeah. hard seltzer, okay, with a bunch of different cool flavors. We got craft beer, you know, we got the, the IPAs in that regard. We've got, you know, fruity champagnes. We've got, you know, I don't know, take home margarita mixes. Uh, yep. There's all these different kinds of drinks. What, what are the most, uh, where do you, which, which of those categories do you see being the biggest? So you'll, you'll never see us actually invest directly in something that's just a brand. Um, there has to be a piece of IP, um, intellectual property, either in package or product or a really unique business model. One, so, one question, can you patent a recipe? Is that something in the alcohol space? Uh, uh, very rarely. Um, there is some food science stuff that you can patent, but for the most part, that's referred to as a trade secret. So like the Coca-Cola recipe is a trade secret, not a patent. Uh, if you create a new molecule, yeah, you can patent that. Um, if, you create, if you create a new kind of package, you can patent that. We're super into the ready-to-drink space. Um, we've got one portfolio company called Drinksmith. Um, you know what, I'll get some sent out to you. You'll love it. Um, they've basically found a way to, okay. to use high-pressure packing so that the juice doesn't have to be pasteurized. It's basically, it's, you, know, you twist it together, you shake, and it's like a cocktail as good as you can get at any mixology bar. And they can send it right to your home. We're, we're really big into a winery called One Hope, which is basically weaponized cause. You know, you know, a big chunk of their profits go to a lot of different charities. And instead of, instead of them paying the distributors and the retailers a big margin, they've decided to instead bring on thousands, tens of thousands of what they call cause entrepreneurs who are allowed to sell the wine themselves, make a living. They might otherwise be driving for Uber. Like a franchise, like a franchise type gig thing? Almost. Gig, not franchise. So the, okay. the exact same thing as like an Uber driver or working for TaskRabbit or working for Postmates. Alcohol sales in grocery stores are up like 50% since quarantine happened. What are your thoughts on that? Is that, is that powering you to, to, to stay excited right now with your business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I have no exposure to the on-premise. You, you no, what do you mean you have no exposure to that? Because you got to have some exposure to that, right? No, I, I specifically look for companies that don't have exposure there. I look for things that could scale Sorry. without bars. Um, now, I'm not going to take credit for coronavirus. Um, it, you know, that was an unforeseen event, but what it's done is, um, put a lot of our portfolio companies on a rocket ship. Uh, was that ethos in place? Was that, yeah, but was that ethos in place before Corona or did you pivot yes. to, to fulfill that? No, it was before Corona because our vision wow. overall was that this is going to move more to D to C. This is, yep. you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get like the economics of fighting for, for shelf space in a bar is not good economics. I don't want to get involved in that. And, and in grocery stores too, man. You know how much money these CPG brands spend on trade promotions specifically? Trying to but trying to work their way down into these promotional supply chains and figuring out what discount I can give this person, fighting for the special spot on the shelf, and people really only look in the freaking middle of the aisle. Like, yeah. th it's just yeah. like, why not cut out the middleman? And it seems that that philosophy of cutting out the middleman that we've seen in so many industries, whether it be Warby Parker or Tesla with no dealerships is right in the middle of this business model that you're like, you hit, you've literally hit the nail on the head. There's nothing special about alcohol. It's a $1.2 trillion industry worldwide. And yet it's, it, it thought for the longest time it was immune to D2C. It's not. All right. D2C is coming for alcohol. 
I know that alcohol sales are up right now, but historically it's looked like people are drinking a bit less of it. And I know that beer is tapered as seltzer is taken off and, and that kind of relationship there. But we're also seeing, you know, uh, cannabis kind of make yeah. its way and, 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 and have an impact. Uh, there's this startup started by two Stanford grads. I think it's called Can. They raised a good bit of money. So are you thinking about CB, CBD and THC focused beverages as well? Or are you just sticking with uh, we're, ethanol we're here? We're already there. We're already there. So um, I, my VC fund also has a consulting arm. Um, and we, we do a lot of work for a lot of the major suppliers on new brand development for them. And uh, a lot of the very big cannabis companies like Tilray, Privateer, et cetera, started looking at us Tilray, and saying, hey, yeah. can you do the same thing for us? Um, and in, in doing that project, I've developed a lot of conviction around, hey, cannabis is coming, but it's not going to be combustibles. It's not all going to be smoking. All, right? all these incremental users, they're going to want beverages. They're going to want edibles. Uh, we looked at dozens of, um, actually, probably, probably, probably more than 50 cannabis beverage brands. We were trying to figure out cannabis beverage, and the last four quarters, um, cannabis beverage has been wildly overvalued. And we're talking like $25 million valuations pre-revenue. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, so we went one step up in the value chain. I said, how do I make a bet on all cannabis beverage, not just one cannabis beverage? Um, and we went and found the very best um, emulsification technology, the, the people building the very best supplier so kind of an intel inside strategy if yeah. you want to make a really good cannabis beverage you have to go to Bertosa and you have to buy their to mix it to mix it into um, the and drink. That was a much, so that, that that became a much cleaner way to bet on the overall ecosystem than any given cannabis beverage so when you were working at the wine company what start what what kind of stood out to you like what what are some model companies that we should be looking at right now for 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 innovation in the in the in the alcohol space? A lot of the a lot of the big alcohol companies have decided let's not innovate anymore let's buy, um, and that's probably the right thing to do. It's the way big pharma works. It's the way a lot of things work, um, but it's perfect for for my ecosystem because then I can you know you know help companies grow and get to that place of acquisition and start those conversations a lot earlier that they'd be able to without our without kind of some smart money into them. Definitely. Are you are you against your brands like that want to work with retail, or are you like you just please just go direct to consumer? What kind of what's your what's the last there for you? It's more it's more about when it's right, right? So the the hardest thing about being in retail um, is that it's a slow process, right? So like you know the, the 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 biggest innovation here is the fact that you can have an ad unit on Facebook. Um, that gets both awareness and then a potential buy within that ad unit. Uh, you can do that virtually anywhere in the country from day one. Um, if you spend marketing anywhere else for awareness, for trial, um, and, and, you, and you hit somebody who says, oh, that sounds great, I'm gonna go to my corner liquor store, and if it's not there, you've just wasted money. It's incredibly inefficient. So yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd way rather see companies do very, very well digitally first, and then backfill the in real life points of distribution. My people of my generation, we love sexy packaging. So if you look at Juul, they took Apple's model and made nicotine a sexy little white piece of cardboard. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, obviously Apple with like the Beats and like any iPhone, the case that you get is like, like really nice. Um, yeah. How important is packaging for, for the alcohol industry? Because obviously it has to taste good and has to make you feel good. I mean, it, it, you know, all of CPG is moving hard towards packaging. You know, I've, you know, there are a lot of amazing design firms that do work specifically in Outbev. And it's, I'd say it's one of five things you absolutely have to get right. Um, but packaging alone won't do it. Um, like you said, product has to be good. 
distribution has to be good, go-to-market has to be good. But finally, you know, packaging really does sell people. Let's talk about local because I just interviewed the founder of uh, Jane Tech, which uh, runs iHeartJane.com, which is the world's mm -hmm. uh, largest e-commerce online cannabis marketplace. And what he's doing is connecting local wellness products from your community with an e-commerce platform that will allow them to get those to you in that community. And it's, it's very local focused. Obviously, it's, it's, you can get stuff from around the state, but it is like kind of on that premise of that people really enjoy right now eating and drinking what comes from their own communities. Yeah, I, I mean, not only do I think it, it's, it's already happening, I think it's already a trend. So to me, um, the next step in that trend is, is, is who's gonna be the iHeart Jane. Um, and, and, and frankly, I already have some money invested in who I think is gonna be the iHeart Jane because someone has to build the platform that makes sure that you understand what's available locally and then can ship that to your door. Um, yeah. with, 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 with that, without that final piece of the platform, it's really hard to act on a desire to go local. Um, you, you can try and go to all your local bars, but that's not efficient. I'd way rather get them on a DTC platform that can then blast out, geo-target and say, this is what's available local, come on our site, pick what you want, let's go. So what advice, uh, would, you give, what do you, what, what advice would you give students who are, they probably haven't found their passion yet. A lot of them like, are interested in McKinsey and Bain like you were. And they want to go and understand and break down business models a bit. But what what advice would you give them for their career? I mean, screw COVID, just like in the long term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, t take something like a McKinsey or Bain. When when you're there, um, you know, yeah, absolutely excel in your career and do whatever is necessary to 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 do the work that's put in front of you. But um, the more genuinely curious you are about your clients, the more genuinely curious you are about what other people are doing, um, that'll get them to open up to you. Um, you know, you, the people around McKinsey and Bain have like an incalculably cool opportunity to really understand what their client companies do. Um, and then they're able to figure out if that's the industry they want to be because so few of them are going to end up partners at McKinsey. They're all going to go back into industry. Um, don't do it because you're tired. Do it because you did the homework and that's the industry you absolutely want to work in. Ladies and gentlemen above the age of 21, just kidding. That was Carlton Fowler. He's founder of Goat Rodeo Capital. It was an awesome conversation on what the AlcBev industry is looking like and the venture capital activity associated with that. I just want to voice my support again for the protests going on right now. And further, shout out my brother who created a live map in the city of Boston for businesses owned by people of color to help guide consumers as we enter this reopening. I also want to continue to voice my support for Campaign Zero. It's a great organization. And the brothers of Theta Delta Chi at the University of Michigan raised $2,500 in 24 hours. We're keeping the donations up. Would love if everybody pitched in, got engaged, started talking. Let's make change here. Thank you for listening to Our Future. See you guys next time.